Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right, excellent. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are uh, here today um, on this uh, this uh, Sabbath, this Saturday. The weather's getting nicer out there. Um, and I want to say thanks for all those who are watching online and joining us uh, through the Internet or through their big screen TV or however... Uh, however you're doing. As you know, livingmessiah.com is our website. There you'll find the donate button. So, And we want to thank all, all those who do support this ministry uh, here. We thank you very much. So uh, let me open in prayer, and then we can um, get into the study. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you. Father, you are unique. Father, your words are true. You're faithful to what you say, and you accomplish everything that you, you, you say. Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you were the eternal one of Israel. Father, be with us today as we, we look into some of those who took your message from your son, uh, Yahshua, the Messiah. And uh, Father, just help us to understand the best we can in the context of what's going on. Father, we look forward uh, to get growing closer to you and to one another. We thank you again for your love and your mercy. Amen. All right. Uh, let me see. Oh, well, uh, as you guys know, there's two mics out there. So if you have a question or comment, raise your hand. Uh, the mic will find its way to you. And all we ask is, hey, let's... Uh, we're all learning together, so if we stick on the text uh, uh, that we're talking about and those subjects that we're talking about uh, in this study, uh, we're all going to learn. And uh, that goes for me. I'm, I'm, I'm always learning things, and I, I, I so appreciate all of you coming out the, to learn with me, so to speak. So, so as, uh, as you guys know, we're in Chapter 18. Uh, maybe a quick review would be this. Um, Paul, he has uh, left Athens, okay? He was in Athens for a bit, and he's now in Corinth. Um, and this would have been the Corinthians, you know, the book of Corinthians, the letters. Uh, that, that would have been to this group here that he would have wrote to. But, so, but he's now in Corinth. He, uh, he, he has now connected uh, with fellow tradesmen, so to speak. It's a husband and wife team. Uh, most likely they were workers in leather. I'm playing the safe there. I know some translations have tent maker, some has various things. I, to me, I'm more moved looking into the Greek word. They're workers in leathers of some sort, maybe horse saddles and and what have you. But anyhow, this husband and wife team, that's what they do. Um, and now we actually see a little glimpse into Paul. He has, he, obviously, he must have had some skilled labor in whatever this was that they did, this leather making. Where did he get it? I don't know. It doesn't say. Uh, but he must have some skill or else they wouldn't invite him, you know, in to help along with the business that the husband and wife have. Because who would, who would want someone who's unskilled at doing <laughs> Obviously, he, he, he had some skill that he had gained along the way or wherever he had got it. So Paul, he uh, continues, uh, you, you will notice this. This is so interesting. I was just talking to Woody, and it's like, uh, and this is one of those things, Woody, I picked up. As you slowly go through, man, things stand out more than they ever did. One thing that's constantly standing out here, uh, especially with us and our, view, uh, our different viewpoint on things, is Paul, he continues in the same practice that he has uh, before encountering Messiah on the way on that road to Damascus, a same practice that he has not changed. And what, what, what is that practice? That's going to synagogue on Shabbat. 
He hasn't thrown that away. He's continued doing this practice, and you'll see that over and over again. I don't know. Right now, off the top of my head, I'm like five, six times it's mentioned Paul going to the synagogue, going to the congregation of the Udim, of the Jews, and that would be the synagogue or Shoal or whatever it might be. But that's where he was going. So he continues this practice. Um, now, uh, now it's now he continues this same practice, and now it's speak. Now he's speaking about Messiah and how he is now and always was by the way part of the already established faith of israel or the jews at the time so he's ultimately he's not doing anything new he just has some other information with the faith that already was and i think that's pretty interesting to view it that way so because basically what then what you end up with is there's no change in the law of moses right just the, if there's any kind of changing that's going on here, it's in the oral law, okay, or the laws of men or traditions. There is no new religion or hint of one for that matter, I would say, okay? Okay, there's no promoting of a new one. Paul's not out promoting a new faith. It's that faith that he grew up with, just with a new understanding that comes into that same faith, Okay? Um, ultimately, he's not evangelizing, okay, <laughs> in some ways. He's not evangelizing. Um, he's not bringing this, you know, grace only, or you're free from the law, pass it on. That wasn't his message that he was doing. It's so far from it, okay? So what we'll find here um, so far in 18, he was reasoning teaching or drashing this idea of mining out looking at the uh, the scriptures deeply in this co- in the congregation every shabbat in the synagogue every shabbat and it says that both um he won both over Udim, Jews, and Greeks. And I would say that word Greek there is either uh, Jews who speak Greek or those who are already part of the faith. So there was, no, uh, there was no one here present at this time that did not know the God of Israel or had any kind of connection. And after, think about it, who else would be going to synagogue? You would only go there if you had some kind of faith in the God of Israel. Whether you were Jew or not, that's the only reason why you go there, right? So, so that's my logic on that. So, and I like the terminology, I use this a lot, is it, if, if they're not Jews or Greek-speaking Jews, then they were those out of the nations in some ways that already were part or became part in an already established belief in the God of Israel. Okay, so there's no new belief system going on here except for how the Messiah fits into the big picture. And ultimately, the idea of Messiah wasn't nothing new in that sense either. Okay, there was an expectation of a Messiah. So he's not bringing anything as far as, you know, groundbreaking that uh, would just shutter their ears and you couldn't find it in in the scriptures and that brings us to another point then so if he's reasoning every shabbat here in acts with the jews or or non-jews those out of the nations what scriptures did he win them over with it wasn't matthew mark luke or john or any of the things that he wrote, because he hadn't wrote, wrote them yet. So he won them over by what we would say the Torah and the prophets, the Tanakh, those writings, the only established word of God at the time. So this is something that I think is very important when you start really thinking about that. And I, uh, me, I hope that encourages all of you with your uh, being here in this different walk that you're walking versus maybe growing up in the Christian church and your family saying, you're, what are you doing? That's crazy. But 
when you start looking at the text, it's like, no, we're not crazy. This is what it says. This is what it historically has proven has gone on. And that should strengthen us in our faith and why we believe what we believe, right? So that's what I would say you could take away from that so far in Acts. So he won some, uh, he won some and with others, uh, he had the same reaction, right? The word of Elohim and his Messiah bring division. So Paul's preaching the word of Yahuwah, right? The same message Messiah preached, and there's division. So one some, lose some. Friction going on. Seems like Paul's a master of that. So let's begin, then uh, pick up where we left off last week, Acts 18.6. However, when they resisted and blaspheming, he shook his garments, this being Paul, and said to them, your blood is upon your head. I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles, those out of the nations, those I'm, this is a tricky one. Those who are not Jew, whatever that might be, they still may be believers in the God of Israel too. I, I don't know exactly what he means by this comment, but he just got in an argument and frustrated with his Jewish brothers not seeing it. But in this discussion, you'll see who picked up on it. Those who were not Jew, part of the congregation. So I'm not sure exactly how you should take that statement. Then it goes on in 7. And having left there, he came to the house of a certain man named Justice, who worshipped Elohim, whose house was next to the congregation, next to the synagogue, next to this building, where he would meet up every time he went into a new town, and that practice that he did on the seventh day in the town that he was in. And Crispus, the ruler of the congregation, did believe in the master with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were immersed. That is, if you think about that, it's really strange what just happened here. He goes to the synagogue. He shares this message. One of the leaders, the head of the congregation, believes in Messiah, but there's a bunch of his brothers who didn't. He just divided the synagogue on what his message. So it didn't take long then for Paul to bring out the best and the worst in people here. So what do we begin to see here? Then we see some of the same behavior from the past visits to the congregations that he visited. Of, with the Jews. This statement is kind of interesting. I'll give you my take on it and why I believe it, and we can maybe look up a couple other verses where this statement is used. But Paul says, the blood of you is upon, your, upon you. Your blood is on your own heads. The responsibility of your lot to be on your own head. These are various translations, how they bring this over. Me, I, I simply would put forth, you have been told, and it's up to you, and it's your responsibility then with the information you now have. I wash my hands. The blood's on your hand. You've heard it. Right? This term is interesting. If you want to go with me to 2 Samuel 1, if you have your Bibles. Because this term, I was looking, okay, we also know uh, this is somewhat what happened with uh, Pilate to uh, when they brought Messiah and Barabbas out. And he goes, I wash my hands, let his blood be upon us. And say, eh, yeah, it's, our, you know, it's upon us, we chose. And it's interesting. Samuel, Second Samuel, Second uh, Samuel, chapter one, verse thirteen. 
and I'll go ahead and read it. And this has to do with this, just this idea, this term, your blood is upon your head. Then David asked the young man who informed him. This young man who's informing him is the death of uh, Saul, the first king of Israel. Okay? David, I don't know if David was anointed king and you had two going on. I'm not sure. But David is talking to this young man from this battle. King Saul is dead. So David is saying, where, uh, where are you from? I'm sorry, or this young man that David's asking, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner and Amalite. And David said to him, how was it that you were not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the anointed of Yahuwah? And what he's meaning by that, this young boy came across Saul, and I guess Saul is really wounded or whatever, and he helped. Saul says, take me out of my misery, basically, if I'm understanding the text right. And the young, young boy finished him off because he was in pain, mercy killing or whatever, however you want to look at it. But David's inquiring about this. And David makes a statement. Uh, how, were you not afraid to kill the king, the anointed one? Because all kings are anointed, Right? And David called the one of the young men and said, draw near and fall on him. And he smote him so that, or he killed him, smote him that he died. And David said to him, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has witness against you. So you still have that same kind of comment, uh, idea. You knew what you were doing. I think quite clear knew it. Basically, I think David's saying, you testified that you killed the king. You, maybe you shouldn't have done that. One, he's anointed. Where did you get the power to do that? And I'm sure there's other ways to take that, but was this right what David did to the young boy here? I don't know. Polly. Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has witnessed against you, saying, I myself have put to death the anointed of Yahuwah, as it finishes out. One of the reasons this is important is it because it's showing David the heart of this individual and where he's at. My understanding is the commandment, thou shall not murder, behind that thought and what is understood, that's like, the words thou shalt not murder are a front that stands in front of a great meaning that lies behind it. And the meaning behind it is understanding the concept that the mighty one of Israel, the giver of life, the creator, has appointed every one life. And it is in his hands and in his timing to give life and take it away. And that responsibility belongs to the divine only. So when you step in and take someone's life according to your own plan or your own thinking, you've stepped in and taken the role and responsibility that only and the privileges that only belong to the divine. But that was his call to call Saul when his life was to end, however that would look like. So whether that applies or not, this is saying something to David about where this young man's heart was, you're not understanding the command or you have not been taught or it's not within you that you understand that it's not your position to take a man's life that the Most High has not commanded you specifically to do so. And secondly, while I have the mic, I want to comment on something you had mentioned here about um, not believing. Um, I forget where it is. It's one of these scriptures just in Acts that you just read that Paul's Jewish brothers, it's not that they don't believe in a coming Messiah. They did not, they were not willing to acknowledge that Yeshua was this Messiah that, that we've been be looking Messiah. for, yeah. where Paul was bold enough to proclaim, this is the one we've been looking for. Mm -hmm. 
No, no, that's right. It, it, uh, there's, there's a lot of dynamics going on. Thank you, Polly. And uh, again, thanks, Polly. But back to this blood that is upon your own head. Um, even here, you know, you, we could go through and see, you know, because I, I tend to more on Polly's side, it's like, okay, uh, sh- should this young boy have taken the life, even though he's saying, take my life? I don't know. But just that, ter- just the phrase itself uh, is, regardless of what's going on, David's at least proclaiming, you have taken responsibility in some sense here. The blood is upon your head. The responsibility is now upon you. You testified it, so I don't know. Maybe it's getting to the point. Elohim will judge. I don't, it's interesting. But we can't look at that and not look at Ezekiel 33 either. Ezekiel 33.4 says this. Then whoever shall hear the sound of the ram's horn and shall not take warning if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood is on his own head. So even, even that statement, I think, okay, you hear the warning, you've heard the words. If, you, if you're going to sit idle, then you take responsibility. It's upon you. Do you have your hand up, Isaac? Just yawning. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Ezekiel 3, 16, has an interesting idea going on here. And maybe this, uh, uh, maybe the angle Paul's coming from as bringing this message forth to his brothers about, you know, this is the one that was foretold. Ezekiel 3.16. And it came to be at the end of seven, uh, seven days that the word of Yahuwah came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, and you shall hear you shall hear the word from my mouth and shall warn them from me. When I say to the wrong, you shall certainly die. And you have not warned him, nor spoken to warn the wrong from his wrong way to save his life. That same wrong man shall die in his crookedness. And his blood I require at your hand. But if you have warned the wrong and he does not turn from his wrong nor from his wrong way, he shall die in his crookedness and you shall deliver your being. Wow. And then it's interesting, I picked this up. Now he's going to talk about a righteous man. Just basically, it seemed like there's a difference now. Now in verse 20, he goes, and. When the righteous one turns from his righteousness and shall do unrighteousness, then I, when I have put a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not warn him. He shall die in his sin and, and his righteousness, which, is, which he has done, is not remembered. And his blood I require at your hand. But if you have warned the righteous one that the uh, the righteous one that the righteousness should not sin, and he did not sin, he shall certainly live because he has been warned, and you have delivered your being. It just it's really interesting, maybe. All I'm saying is, it's like, is this part of uh, Paul's wording here and understanding? This is on your head now. I warned you. I warned you. Because I don't want that blood on my hand because I met the master on the roadway to Damascus and I want to make sure 
I'm fulfilling what he's asked me to do because I don't want that on me. I thought for sure I'd have a hand up on something like that. Guess not. Anyhow, so we'll continue. What was her hand? Oh, Polly. Polly has a hand. Amen on this. I didn't want to be the only person commenting. So everywhere you've used the word blood, you can substitute that word for life. Because blood represents life. Life is in the blood. The blood is our life. And everywhere you've used that word blood, if we look at it with the word life, it brings a little bit more depth to what you're saying to us. Oh, yeah, definitely. There is that connection between the two imagery, you know. Thank you, Polly. Nothing more. We'll continue on. I want you to look at verse 7. Oh, Mark. I didn't see your hand up. So it seems like, especially in your example you give in 2 Samuel, in some of these uh, examples that it's using for this phrase, and I looked through a few of them, that it seems to be referencing someone who took someone's life unrighteously or without God's, like Paul saying, without the approval. So when he's using this phrase here in Acts 18, talking about the death of our Messiah, so if, if people that say, yes, he is the one sent from the Almighty, he's the Almighty sacrifice who was laid down, now the life is to the one who sent him the because we recognize who he laid his own life down but if we don't recognize that then we're basically saying that men killed an innocent man outside of the reasons for righteousness and therefore the blood of that righteous man is now on your head mm-hmm. maybe that's what he's telling you no you have that dynamic going on there as well too no, thank you, Mark. No, it is interesting. And for me, as I go a little bit at a time through Acts here or any of the text, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, to me, I just can't blow through the text anymore and just read the story. There, You just can't. There's too many things going on. Too many things are connected. And there's too much that I desire I want to uh, understand to the best I can. And you can see already just in this one statement how it's connected, how it might be intended one way or another way, or how it's used. Was Paul just frustrated here and used, uh, used it? Did he really mean it? I, I, all kinds of things. But even to make things even stranger, as you, as you stop and look at various translations, I'll point out verse 7 to you. What's so interesting about verse 7? Well, obviously, he was, this gentleman was a worshiper of Elohim. His name was Justice. Anybody's Bible have Titus? <laughs> Justice, Titus, Titus, Justice. It's interesting uh, with this guy's name. Some of the Greek manuscripts me, uh, read the name as Titus Justice. Ultimately, we see he was a God-fearer. A Jew? I'm not sure. But if he, I would say no, just the way it's worded. One who worshipped Elohim. You wouldn't say, well, this Jew, he worshipped Elohim. For the most part, if he's in the congregation, it's making this statement that he was not part of the Jewish brotherhood, so to speak, here. So I would say that, yeah, he was one from out of the nations. I'll go, I'll go that path, I think, is safer until I'm shown different or learned different. So he was a God-fearer. He was one from the nations. And again, I'm going to say he already had a faith in the Elohim of Israel, the God of Israel. Why else would he be at the local synagogue? That is it. I heard it. He lived next door. Wow, what a picture. What if it is, think of the dynamics that's going on here. 
for instance, okay, Paul's at this synagogue. Put this in your mind. He goes to the synagogue. The head of the synagogue really believes Messiah, but there's this group of his brothers who don't. Next door is one of the believers uh, that go to synagogue. He's not Jewish. Paul ends up rooming over there. It states, all right? Okay. Now, this is, to me, there's humor in Scripture if you look real close. All these men that eventually he has ought with in the synagogue. Paul's next door. Let's say he's up on his balcony, Shabbat morning. He's doing his prayers, right? And all those who have ought against him are going to synagogue and they're passing him. And he's on the balcony and he's just waving and smiling. And they're like, there's that guy that we can't get rid of. He's still here. He's living next door to the synagogue even. Oh, I just saw this picture of this. I don't know. I guess um, I interjected me, my, my personality. Yeah, I'd be up there. Hi, guys. Remember me? I'm the one you don't like. I'll be over in just a second. Let me finish up my prayers right here. Right? And they're like, oh. Anyhow, I, just that picture. So you got that going on here. And it goes on. Paul's here for about a year and a half. So <laughs> long enough time for her to really stew in those who really didn't like Paul, who were part of the congregation, that he was rooming right next door. And they saw not only in the congregation, outside every day when they came, when he left. Uh, anyhow. But anyhow, this gentleman, just, uh, Justice, uh, or Titus Justice, he was possibly a Roman citizen as I was looking into it. But he lived next to this. And it's interesting about his name. I didn't want to do a big deep dive why his various translations have a, has his name uh, in various places. But it seems like he hooks up with Paul later on in, in his journeys. And whether it was the same Titus that Paul addressed a letter to, I'm not certain on that part at all. Yes, brother. Mine doesn't have Titus at all. It has Titius. Titius, yeah, Titius, okay. It's interesting. Okay, where were we? Okay, let's continue on here. Oh, yeah, I spoke about that. So ultimately, Paul's following that same protocol that Yeshua gave him. Um, he gave this type of, whether he was following this same one that, uh, protocol that Messiah gave to the 70 that he sent out or the 12, because what I thought was interesting, like for instance, the 70 that Messiah sent out and Luke, Luke uh, uh, chapter 10, and it said, um, he was telling them when you go out into a city and you come to a home, you have shalom, stay there. Don't move around, basically. Don't hip-hop all over the, hip-hop here and there. If you find a house, stay there. And it sounds like in some ways that's what Paul's doing there. He found peace in this gentleman's house. He ends up there a year and a half. He doesn't go to another house. He doesn't then go to another house. He doesn't go down to the corner. He doesn't. He sticks and he trains up who was listening. This man in his household. Yes. <clears throat> Wondering the parallel with the shake the dust off your sandals when they don't accept you versus what you were saying with um, in, in six. Yeah, no, you and know, that's so interesting. A yeah. parallel there. Um, oh, sorry, I lost my other thought. But that I saw those two as, I know the one that you're talking about is a little harsher, but he said that it'll be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah or something like that. And I, that's in Matthew where that yeah. term that you're talking about, uh, you know, if you go to a city or a house and there's no peace, shake off the dust from your shoes and move yeah. on. And it would be greater for Corazon and those places that he had visited 
you know, will stand up and judge you, or Sodom and Gomorrah or something will stand up and judge yeah. you, that type of thing. Yeah. And then I saw the other thought that just came back is why he stayed there 18 months. I think it's in verse 9 because Yahuwah literally in a vision encouraged him, right, to be strong and courageous, almost like what he told Joshua several times, you know, as he was taking over from Moshe. And so I think that that, that also gave him a lot of uh, encouragement or confidence right he's like be bold you know preach or, or whatever he was doing no exactly no i think that is uh, 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 there's more behind this story at least maybe you can start piecing together yes mark so here you have in verse eight this christmas he is the leader of a synagogue he believes in yahuwah with all of his household many of the corinthians and they were believing in the report of Yahuwah and are being baptized. So you have one group that's not, another the group that is in the synagogue believing, and the word is spreading. And I would also say believing in Yahuwah. So because they're preaching the word, it says in here several times, they're preaching the word of Yahuwah. Mm -hmm. Some people, let's just face it, there are some synagogues that just, it's not so much about, believing in Yeshua, they may not believe in the word at all. I mean, the, we have history of the scriptures where people didn't believe in God's word at all. I mean, the prophets came and spoke to them. They rejected it altogether. And so I think we, we see here that some are going to believe in God's word, what's being spoken of in the Tanakh, and some are not. And this man, Crispus, he is believing in the word of Yahuwah, he and his household, and they are being baptized in Yeshua's name. And so very interesting. And so, who, like, like uh, Woody said, it is Yahuwah speaking to him here. And so they're receiving the word. No, exactly. No, and that, that's where I think the dynamic is because various ways, I guess, you know, it says chief ruler um, or ruler of the congregation was he the head rabbi or he was just one of the head rabbis. I, you know, but that, that goes you see this, you have to see there's division going on because eventually <laughs> there's that group that don't like Paul, but yet at the same time, some of, our some of the head rabbis are believing this guy, so it's like, we can't, ah, oh, it starts getting really messy, you know, really messy. And then let's continue because, and then nine, and the master, like uh, uh, Woody was pointing out, the master spoke to Shaul in the night, uh, in, night by a, in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do, uh, but speak and do not be silent, because I am with you, and no one shall attack you to do you evil, because I have m many people or much people in this city. And he remained a year and six months. What did he do? He was teaching the word of Yahovah among, among them, everywhere he was going. I know, it, it, it's interesting. So, you, you know, you, I just in my head thinking, what, what was going on even behind the scenes after after service and you know who knows but go ahead sister <clears throat> that makes me think when i was in corinth uh right as you see the sea you come and you see the the synagogue when mm -hmm. paul was supposed to but right across from it it was the synagogue of satan right ac right across the street mm -hmm. you know in that big path and and i just wonder how mixed it had to be all mixed between believers and uh, Satan worship, I guess, but it oh. was very interesting to see that so close. Yeah, to me. No, that is interesting over there, and I can't speak too much. I didn't visit that particular site to know what time and things like that. But no, it, it, there was a lot of interesting things going on that time in Messiah and Paul, as we see and and what he speaks about. Um, verse twelve, and then uh, Galion was a pro-counselor or viceroy of Acania in the Udim with one mind. I point. I made that highlight, with one mind. 
in the beginning of the act in acts i know it's been a while but that term popped up all although they were in one mind one accord so to speak in one mind of one heart one mind one heart and now all of a sudden we see that terminology with this particular group of jews they all had one mind and that was let's get rid of this paul guy let's get rid of paul he just sits in the corner and preaches <laughs> so what happens uh the Udim with one mind they rose up against Shaul and brought him to the judgment seat saying this one does seduce men to worship Elohim contrary to the Torah first before we get any further here I want to point out we talked about Halakha right a refresher with halakha. Halakha is the way you walk things out. Halakha, ultimately, it's a fusion of uh, the biblical Torah, the biblical instructions, let's say from Mount Sinai, by the hand of God that was handed to Moses. But it's also Jewish tradition and Jewish customs. This typical term was used throughout the New Testament for that idea for all those I just said oral law customs and God's law but they use one word Torah and that gets translated into our English as law so what that does is it coming getting translated to us all those things as law so again the law is uh, what you'll find ultimately the law is not being trampled here they're not accusing Paul of breaking God's law okay I firmly believe what's going on here because ultimately the the law of Moses let's say the the Torah the the Torah, um, which is means just instruction. So whatever these instructions were, whether it was from the rabbis orally or traditions or, or men, or from coming from God, one word in the Greek, and that comes to us, and we know it as the word law. It gets translated to us in our English as law. But that's clearly not what's going on here because it we will see in a bit that that can't be the case even right here yes so in my studying out the scriptures there's a lot of meaning is lost in translation mm -hmm. and i'll give you an example so we're talking about the law deuteronomy in the english is repetition of the law in the hebrew it's a dual meaning word. It means words and things. And to simplify it, your words become things. So if we're creators created in the image, what we speak becomes something somewhere. And then it's gonna go through the universe and do what it does. So again, that's why so much meaning is lost when you go from a Hebrew or Greek context to our watered-down English language. No, exactly, and you gotta be aware of that, or else it can be this. It can it can get confusing. So halakha is a fusion of biblical the biblical law from God, Jewish tradition and Jewish customs, and it's all summed up in the New Testament with one word, the law. So all these aspects are summed up under one word. So everything that's recorded for us then is recorded comes to that one word. So you have to understand what's going on, what law is being spoke about. 
and that's going to be context, and you've got to know who's talking and what context he's talking in and who he's talking to. Mark. So just to <coughs> point out that the uh, definite article, the Greek the, is in front of law, giving it to the idea that it is the law of God. But to your point is, irregardless, they, what they're saying is, we believe he's teaching against our interpretation of what's being said or what God has said. So we know that men have invented their own ideas and their own interpretations of what God has said. And so they're laying a, a claim against him that he's speaking against God uh, according to their own their own things. And what's funny is this, this man that's at the judgment says, says Oh, Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put you up with you, but if there are questions about words and names, which is happening amongst Messianics today about arguing over words and names, and so, again, I, I think maybe it could be that their personal interpretation of what's being said. That's uh, what I'm seeing here, and I think that's very important on how this whole thing plays a part. So I would be, uh, what I would say here is they're accusing Paul of breaking a law? Yeah. Jewish law or tradition, the traditions of the elders, or speaking against those things. That's why they're so heated. Why would the head rabbi of the congregation jump on board if it was against the word of God? At least... I guess there's a reason why that could be. I don't know. But I do not believe it was the law of Moses that is being spoken, or spoken about here. This one seduces men to worship Elohim contrary to the Torah. They're showing him how to walk out the laws of God different how we should walk out the laws of God. Um, whatever those might be. You know, I mean, at the time of Messiah, how many times your disciples, they're not washing their hands. That's contrary to what? Scripture? No. Contrary to the ruling that was given on how to walk out God's law. That was the issue. So, I do not believe it, this has to do with the law of Moses that was handed down from heaven to the Father. And I don't believe it's about Roman law either. I think we'll see that real quick. And why this is important, it's important because Paul uses this term, the law, over and over again in his letters. And we need to understand what he means by that term when it's being used. And that can be kind of tricky. And that goes back to that whole thing, you know, where Peter said, you know, oh, you know, people misunderstand Paul to their own destruction because they're not taught. I know I summed that verse up as there's a little bit more to it. But knowing this, to me, uh, this little bit of information really helped me understand the New Testament uh, more and who wrote it. Because now when I'm reading, okay, okay, it says law, and it's like, okay, what's going on here? Is it the law of God? Do I know enough about the law of God to know if it's about the law of God? You, you know? And I'm not willing to jump into rabbinic. Phariseeism to understand all of it to know if it's Pharisaic law. I figured if you go back to, you know, what is stated, that's it's easier for me. <laughs> it's, uh, less books I have to get. I only have one book, you know. <laughs> yes, sister. I just wanted to say what an encouraging passage of scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, to to read this and know you're in good company. That uh, we are not the only ones who are trying to explain what's in the scriptures <laughs> and being falsely accused and having our words twisted. And for him, 
almost put on trial. I mean, he was kicked out. I mean, the guy's like, no, get out. But to me, that's a very encouraging passage of scripture. This one does seduce men to worship Elohim contrary to the Torah. And yet, that's the exact opposite of what he was doing. Exactly. Yeah. And that, but that feeds into modern theologies and concepts, which, uh, I, yes, it's very powerful. So, so, I'll finish with this. Like I was saying, knowing this bit of information, being aware of that and understanding the context, um, it, to me, it helped me understand the New Testament in a lot of tricky passages, especially with Paul and what really was going on, what the argument was. It really wasn't about God's law. It was about, you need to do it this way. You know, whether you tie your tzitzit this way or that way, maybe. Interpretation on how to walk that out, you know. So, and I would say to all of you, too, as we're all in this walk, there's, we're all in different places. There's certain things I won't do on Shabbat that I see other brothers and sisters do that I won't do. I'm not going to condemn I'm just learning, and that's helping me in my walk with the Messiah. So we got to be careful. So ultimately, after all this, after all this is the, uh, you take Messiah. Messiah walked. Yeshua never spoke against his father's law, his Torah, his instructions that were handed to Israel. He never did that. But what he did do is he taught his father's way. He taught them and he did them. And he did them the father's way. And he taught them not like man's way to do them. He taught them from his father how to do them. He didn't teach more doctrine or more man's ways. He only taught what his father gave him, and that's what he passed on, and he asked us to do the same. So let me just leave it there because it starts getting a little bit more heavier here. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, we ask, we, we want to understand those who, who walked before us. Father, those who struggled with your words, struggled with man, struggled with you. But ultimately, if I understand the definition of Israel, that is what we are to do. We, we struggle with you. We will wrestle with you. We will strive with you. We'll overcome with you. And ultimately, we can rule with you. We can rule over these things that we need to rule over. We thank you again, Father. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thanks again for being here.